right now we're going to have a conversation about uh, about teenagers and the alarming increase in vaping amongst young Canadians. We're talking about it right now with the chair of the School of Food and Nutritional Sciences at Brescia University College, Dr. Jamie Seabrook. Dr. Seabrook, thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Okay, I, I need you to define exactly what it is when we're talking about vaping. Okay, so we're seeing an increase in teens. Are we talking about vaping nicotine, vaping other substances? Just Let's just set the table and talk about what exactly we mean when we say vaping. It's a great point. So we know that youth vaping is a major public health concern in Canada, but what often happens in research is that vape use gets treated as just a a unitary behavior but in reality um, adolescents are vaping different things and in 2019 the Canadian Public Health Association really uh, advocated for a call to differentiate between adolescents who vape nicotine versus um, products that are nicotine free hmm. so in our in our new research that's exactly what we set out to do is to to look at the percent of um, of high school students in Canada that are vaping nicotine specifically, as well as nic- nicotine-free, to see to differentiate the two in terms of the vape u- users. And so, what did you find? Are more teenagers using nicotine-free vapes, or ones with nicotine in them, or products with nicotine in them? Yeah, so unfortunately, we found that just over one quarter, 26% of high school students all across Canada have vaped in the past 30 days. So that's a lot. And uh, of those, 12% were only exclusively uh, using vapes containing nicotine. And yet only 2.5% were using nicotine-free vapes. In other words, the vast majority were using products that were containing nicotine. How does that compare with students that would have been smoking nicotine products in in the last few years? Because it seems like there was this, uh, you know, a a giant shift away from from purchasing tobacco products. And now with vapes being so normalized, we're, we're sort of looking at a what feels like a problem that had been dealt with. I completely agree, and and that's exactly it. Unfortunately, while the prevalence of smoking cigarettes has gone down, uh, among especially non-smoking youth, the popularity of vapes have really increased. And I, I attribute that to things like aggressive marketing and flavored vape products, because now vapes can come in all different types of flavors, like candies and fruits and desserts. And these are highly uh, attractive to our uh, high school students. And unfortunately, our data is showing that um, the vast majority that are using vapes are using it uh, with nicotine specifically. When when we're talking about the effects of nicotine on a teenager or really on anyone, I mean, I feel like those are those are pretty widely known. But do these products contain significantly more nicotine than other tobacco products, the cigarette, for example? Well, vaping overall is less harmful than smoking, but that doesn't mean it's safe. So what we know is that e-cigarettes tend to have um, less toxic chemicals than traditional cigarettes. However, we still know that nicotine is the key uh, agent, if you would, in both in both vapes and regular cigarettes, meaning that they're highly addictive. And we've seen things like um, not only nicotine addiction, but it's led to a, a higher odds of initiating cigarette smoking once you start vaping. So there's a, our research wasn't specific to that area 
it, but we've literature is very clear about that. And of course, they're being exposed to harmful chemicals and seizures from things like nicotine toxicity and even acute pulmonary injury. So this is this is indeed a, a big concern. Well, what about the nicotine-free vapes then? What are some of the health effects in in those ones? We actually don't know a whole whole much about uh, nicotine-free vapes. For sure, they're not as dangerous as nicotine vapes. Um, but the reason why we don't know a whole lot is that the vast majority of research, you know, creates and, and categorizes vape use as a unitary behavior. So what uh, what I we try to set to do myself and the other co-author was differentiate what are people vaping, and uh, we didn't even look at uh, cannabis vaping. That's about a third of adolescents as well. The most common type of vaping, though, is, is nicotine vaping. And so who who is doing this? Is it, across, is it the same across all genders? Or are you finding that it's more, it's more of one group than another that's taking part in this? Yeah, so our research actually looked at that, and we found that males were more likely than females to vape in the past month, and that includes nicotine vaping nicotine-free vaping and what we call dual vaping, those that vape nicotine as well as nicotine-free. And the other interesting thing was when we we, um, separated by grade of high school, what we found was for every subsequent grade, like grades 10, grade 11, they were more likely um, than grade 9 students to vape exclusively with nicotine. Hmm. So even though we can't say that caused, it is very highly uh, suggestive in our research that um, as they go up in age and grade, they're more likely to move from nicotine-free to actually nicotine vaping. I mean, the numbers are, are wild. A quarter of students have vaped in the last 30 days. I mean, it's yeah. wild how popular this really is. So what do you do about it? What are some of the workarounds to make sure that that students, teenagers don't get access to these vapes? I want to get to some of those questions in just a moment, but we do just have to take a little break, Dr. Seabrook. So if you'll hold, we'll come right back into it, talking about alarming rates of vaping revealed amongst Canadian teens, this according to a new study. Uh, Dr. Jamie Seabrook is the chair of the School of Food and Nutritional Sciences at Breast. University College. We're going to get right back into it in three minutes on Chelsea Unshed. Welcome back to the show. It's 4.47. We're talking about alarming rates of vaping revealed amongst Canadian teens. Our guest is the chair of the School of Food and Nutritional Sciences at Brescia University College, Dr. Jamie Seabrook. Dr. Seabrook, thank you so much for sticking around on hold. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks again for having me. It's a great show. Yeah, I mean, as, well, thank you. <laughs> as we're having this conversation, we have some uh, some textures weighing in and, you know, commenting in real time as we're discussing the issue of vaping amongst teenagers. And there are people saying, well, what about what about vaping marijuana products? What about vaping weed? Can we touch on that a little bit and how, and how problematic that is? Or did your study really only focus on the nicotine that students are vaping? Yeah, I can talk about both. Our study was very specific to nicotine vaping and nicotine-free vaping and dual vaping with either nicotine or nicotine-free. However, we also know that now about um, one-third of adolescent vape users in Canada use their vaping device to consume cannabis. And I also do a lot of cannabis research, so I I can say that... uh, You know, my concern, of course, is the developing brain compared to, say, an adult. So the developing brain, uh, the brain is fully developed around age 25. So when uh, when adolescents are using um, vapes that contain, say, THC, 
uh, it's very concerning because of the high potency in cannabis. Like we know, for example, that the THC potency has actually gone up uh, about 300% from 3% in the 1980s to um, 12% in 2012. And most recently in 2023, we now know that the potency is 15%. So it's gone up even more than that. Mm. So that is really concerning because of the the uh, developing brain. And it's interesting to me that you're talking about students using their their vape pen uh, to to not only vape nicotine products, but then to also use it to vape cannabis products. And it sort of seems like one kind of leads into the other into the other, which I think has always been fairly normal amongst teenagers. And you're going to try one thing, and maybe you're going to try another thing. But I think the issue being is those nicotine products were something that we really had gotten a good handle on. So why? is there not policy that makes this less available for teenagers? How are they really even getting their hands on these nicotine products? Yeah, so I agree with everything you said. And actually, our research did show that cannabis, uh, alcohol, and cigarette smoking were highly correlated with vape use in our high school students, meaning that there was a, a lot of poly substance use going on. In terms of ways to, to restrict, uh, you know, I could say a couple things. Like one is I think we need to do a better job in terms of policy at delivering interventions that target poly substance use, not just always vape use per se, because most vapors are also, you know, using alcohol and, and many are using cannabis and higher odds of cigarette smoking. So targeting poly substance use. And the other is we just need more education and longitudinal research to uh, get out there about uh, the effects of cannabis, of, uh, of both cannabis and vaping on adolescents. So we can try to prevent the initiation of vape use among adolescents altogether without even, even starting. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it's highly addictive. Once you start, it's pretty hard to, to stop going down that road. Dr. Seabrook, thank you so much for sharing your research. Chair of the School of Food and Nutritional Sciences at Brescia University, talking about alarming trends of increased vapes, vape use amongst teenagers. A quarter of students in Canada have vaped in the last 30 days. So that is obviously a lot still relatively unknown in terms of the effects of the non-nicotine vapes. And you would sort of imagine if you maybe are starting with not with something that doesn't contain nicotine, uh, pretty slippery slope to graduate into something that does. It's 4.51 right now. We've been having a few big conversations with you this afternoon, uh, talking about family physicians and trying to encourage more family physicians into that practice, trying to get them when they're in med school and try and make that profession more attractive than than moving on into a different specialty, for example. It's a big issue. A lot of Canadians don't have a family doctor. Six million Canadians, actually, that's one in five that don't have a family doctor. So how do we solve that problem? Some really great comments uh, coming in on the text line from me this afternoon. I really appreciate you weighing in and and talking about that. We'll get to a few of your comments uh, in just a few moments, but Jeff wanted to weigh in saying, uh, even in his experience, he had a family doctor. He said, we just found our family doctor is closing his practice in Sherwood Park and maybe moving to BC. So another one bites the dust. Uh, Jason on the text line as well said, we should consider broadening the use of nurse practitioners. Many of them provide exceptional service and in some cases 
better care than GPs. And Jason, I think that that's a really good um, maybe approach to try to lend support to overworked family doctors and then just try to provide that patient care so that you don't have a situation that's just getting worse and worse with no answers. And then your ultimate answer is to go to an ER and we create this huge bottleneck in our hospital system. So great conversations, great texts uh, that have come in from you this afternoon. We've also been having a really big conversation talking about home ownership in Canada. New Ipsos polling says that 63% of Canadians feel that home ownership is something that they've just given up on. 